Hello and welcome to Talking the Turnstiles and what is our first one-to-one special. I am delighted to be joined by Amy Canavan. Amy was last year nominated for the Football Writers Association Student Football Writer of the Year Award. She is a contributor on the award-winning podcast A Celtic State of Mind as well as hosting her own Soccer Supernova. A writer for BBC Sport as well as the Celtic Way, she also commentates on BBC Scotland's coverage of the Scottish Women's Professional League whilst still finding the time to work as a media officer for Lowland Weekside Bonnie Rig Rose. If that wasn't enough, Amy has just released her first documentary, Sexism, Scuppered or Sustained, where she talks to some of the most influential women working across the sports media scene. Deep breath after that. Amy, thank you very much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, yeah. No, thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, that was that was quite the intro. It's not until somebody else says it that you think, God, I have done a lot in a year. Um, and it has all really been in the last year um, that everything's kind of, well, everything just outlined there happened, happened. Obviously, I've done Rose coming up for two years in, in June kind of period. Um, but Axon was at the tail end of um, 2020. So it's been pretty much everything in the last year. Yeah, it's been a, a mad year. And then probably why folk at uni don't have a clue who I am because I'm just never there. Um, I think my lecturers don't really know who I am. But, um, you know, I'm delighted to be here and thank you for that that intro. You're very welcome. Um, so we'll just we'll start at the beginning. Do you recall when and how your love for football began? Oh, um, I was given no option. I know that's like such a cliche, but I genuinely was given no option. I grew up, I'm just, there's just me and my little brother. Um, 22 months between us, we're very close. Um, my dad's football mad. Um, he's a referee still. I was at a higher level, obviously, when I was younger, but he's getting old, so he needs to uh, knock, knock down a few leagues. Um, but yeah, it's just always been football. Grew up just uncles, my dad, um, my brother, pa- Patrick. We just, everything. Um, started playing it at a really young age. My dad always encouraged pretty much everything that I went to do, other than dance. My brother, we just done everything. We came as a, a duo. We were just a package deal. Um, basketball together, football together, bowls together, everything was together. So, yeah, um, we've both just always been very competitive with each other, actually, and always shown a, a keen interest in, oh, well, if he can kick a ball, I'll make sure I can kick a ball too. So, um, yeah, it's just always been, yeah, just always been there. It's always on the telly. The only channel that's on in this house is Sky Sports. Um, my mum, bless her, she's just been given no option. She's got three sport fanatics. She's not too bad herself, to be fair. Um, but yeah, she certainly was given no option when, when me and my brother came along. Do you remember the first game that you were you were at, the first game you attended? Um, yeah, so it wasn't like, it wasn't a Celtic game from my first game. Um, went to a lot of games, just like at a local level. Um, I think my first actual game, though, was Hearts Dundee United at Tynecastle. Uh, Hearts won 1-0, and I won it through like a school thing. Um, and that's actually why it was my first like real proper stadium game. Um, local... We had, obviously, as I said, my dad refereed when we were younger, so I didn't go through at Celtic Park an awful lot. Obviously, we are um, East Coast as well, so it is quite the trek. My dad doesn't drive, so um, you kind of have to like almost prove yourself. It's like you're not a fan. But um, no, so I never went to Celtic Park a lot when I was younger. Um, but here, being East, I rode a few times and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I think the first game was Hearts, Dundee United, Hearts won 1 0. Yeah, it was not a great game. And I think I do remember thinking, God, I don't think I'll be going back to many of them. But lots of lower league football. Um, that's always kind of been my thing. And I love it. Um, East of Scotland level, you know, even even below that, just amateur stuff. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's definitely where you get an education, definitely. 
Yeah, I'd agree with the lower league level as, as well. Like, I feel like when it comes to stadiums, there can be such a disconnect as well. Like, yeah. But yeah, so when you're at the lower league level, I feel like there's a real connection between, obviously, as a spectator to the players as well. You can hear every single word and I love it. Yeah, there's a lot of yeah hands and hands over ears when we were younger. Um, yeah, feel no punches through here. Yeah, um, everyone has a footballing idol. Who was yours, and did you also have a cult hero as well? Um, my cult hero is probably my footballing hero as well. It's Joe Ledley. Um, Joe Ledley, I fell in love with him, um, and yeah, everything. If I will happily retire if I get to interview and speak to Joe Ledley. Um he's the, the one that I want to um yeah I I also love Mark Wilson and I, I have uh, been lucky enough to interview him so that was a, a real bucket list moment. But yeah Joe Ledley I just I loved everything about him. I felt he was extremely underrated in that Celtic side. Um and yeah I thought he was he was so pivotal. I don't know why I did because there was so many well, I don't even want to say so many better players because Joe Leather was best to me. But there probably were more attractive um, footballers in, in that Celtic side at the time. Um, Neil Lennon first spell, everything was just really going well. And that's, you know, I was uh, 10, 11 at that time. But he was the first one that really stuck out, uh, stood out for me. Sorry, before that, it was Nakamura. Nakamura was like the, the joy for me, um, falling in love with Celtic and probably just understanding previously being forced to like watch football and do football but when I really started to love and really want to like make a career in it somehow um it was Nakamura always always so is that when you knew that you wanted to work within football and the sports industry yeah so I um I was extremely extremely sporty growing up I played football a lot like I said played basketball as well to a really high level um and I loved I just loved playing sports so I think it was, I was still in primary school and um, I've always been pretty decent at English as well. And I remember a primary school teacher, it wasn't even my teacher, but she was just speaking to my mum and she was just like, you know, she could go into sports journalism. She loves sports, she loves journalism. And that was from, like I say, probably about the age um, nine, 10, probably 10. Yeah, uh, that that like seed first got planted and, you know, I'm extremely determined in anything I do and I refuse to quit. So the minute something was put in my head, that thought I um, I've only ever thought about it there's been a few times you know um people suggest things along the way I, I really enjoyed history at school was really quite good at that a few were pushing for for me to go and study history but sports journalism the, like I say the minute that that seed got planted in my head um and at that age you're not even aware of anything you know if somebody says you can do it at that age you're not aware of any kind of sexism or any prejudice at all so you just think right I'm going to do that that's a job I can do that um so it wasn't an issue for me. And because I'd always grown up playing football with the boys as well, obviously I played for the girls, captain the girls and whatnot. Um, so really had a sound understanding of the sport, like I always have. Um, and I always had it at home. And I was just integrating with my brother, my dad, and I never really saw it. Like I didn't see that I was the only girl or whatever. I think because my mum would have a conversation about football or my cousin as well, like it just never, never really batted an eyelid at it, if I'm honest. Yeah, it was your normal though. Compared to yeah, quite the wider scale, like in a very close kind of circle, almost um, went to like a very small school as well. So um, even when I think back now, and I probably was the only one like proper keen on football. But when the other girls got like part of my friends, they were, you know, there was a few who did then really revel in it. Others just wanted a Thursday afternoon off school. No denying that. Um, but 
there was a yeah there wasn't like a I didn't feel anything different the, the between the boys and the girls and I think obviously it perhaps a, a little but you just thought that's just boys being boys you didn't think it being anything else it's just quite simply boys being boys um, when did your first opportunity like being involved in a wider media scale how did that come about um, so my first role I think would be me read Celtic um, I had I'd got into uni um, and I was already yeah I think I was in was I my second year at uni at that time and I just saw like one of these things on Twitter that they were looking for writers of some kind um, followed read Celtic just in very straightforward um, Celtic blog site kind of thing part of the whole there was the read everything kind of thing it was before it got like it got bought over and it's, it's a bit messier now um and everything everything changed but yeah I submitted a piece and um Ollie yeah I just got a message they really liked it and since then the, for that season just kind of I think I was given like a a, a thing for every game so I think I was on a uh, opposition danger man and Jules, Jules to watch something like that, like who would be, like it would be someone silly, like it'd be like Scott Brown up against Liam Donnelly from Motherwell, it'd be something like that. Um, and you, yeah, you, I think I picked two Jules um, to look out for in the game and an opposition danger man. So I really enjoyed that because I've always just been like, obviously I am a Celtic fan, but I loved Scottish football in general. And I've always had quite a sound under, like I'm not channel minded that I do only think of Celtic and that's it. I like watching you know, if there's any Scottish football game on the telly, I'll watch it. So I always felt that that was quite an easy role to do because I, I wasn't just thinking, right, who's maybe scored in the last two weeks? It was like, no, I genuinely do know who's Hibs' best player at this time, who is Motherwell's best player at this time. So um, I did enjoy that. And yeah, I think that would have been, yeah, that would have been the, the first thing that I'd done. And I love that. And you got to do like a few odd things as well. That um, Sometimes you do player ratings and player ratings are really great. And you used to get loads of views like 16 to 20,000 views on a piece and at that young age you you know you think god I'm I'm getting read somebody's reading my work so um even though it's, it's something as kind of trivial as that it's a great building block really um to to get your foot in the door and just get used to that you know what not just watching a football game but kind of like analyzing a football game um obviously you have had some challenges in regards to sexism and we'll touch on that shortly uh, but there was another concerning matter that I thought that was worth discussing and it was last season when it was the disastrous season for Celtic and trying to win 10 in a row and there was an incident when Peter Lowell's house was attacked and set in fire and mm. somehow responsibility in quotations seemed to come back to you and other Axon contributors how did you deal with that? Because you were clearly visibly shaken by it when you were on camera. Um, so how did that impact you? And did you feel that you had to alter your approach when voicing your opinion afterwards? Well, I think the way that I dealt with it, it was pretty much, it's out there for everybody to see. Um, I really couldn't hold back. And um, I'll be honest, I'm, my friends, I've always been kind of like known as ice queen. I'm, I'm not an emotional person at all. I'm quite um, hard. Um, I, I am quite hard. Um, like... Uh, aye, so to, to actually show my emotion like that, because um, I, I am quite a closed book, uh, don't let an awful lot of things out, but I think it was just the manner in which everything had happened. It's obviously, it's a half 12 bulletin. Half 12 to me, I've said this before, it's like nine o'clock to other people. I'm not a morning person at all. So I don't, I'm, I've not been up for hours upon hours. So I've only been up since about like, let's say 10, half 10, something like that. Um, and obviously I can just 
Twitter's going mad, notifications are going mad. I'm, I'm speaking to obviously the other the other two were, were Paul John Dykes and, and Natasha Mikkel. It just seemed to be the three of us because the week before we had spoken obviously to um to to said to said person on the on the show. So yeah, everything was kind of happening quite quick. Um my mum, even though it was a pandemic, my mum uh, works in a school, so she was working out at the hub. She wasn't there. Even at, like, say, 20 years of age, when something like that's happened, all you, all you want is your mum. My dad's, like, the most, the biggest technophobe in the world. Like, he just doesn't have a clue. So even though I'm telling him what's kind of happening through balls of tears, he just didn't understand, like, he's like, what do you mean? Uh, it was just basically, like, what do you mean? And then I'm getting angry at him because he's not understanding what this tweet means and whatnot. Um, but... It was it was mental, and then obviously I knew that it was getting addressed on the show. Paul had obviously said beforehand that um, obviously well we're going to have to address it because of these ridiculous allegations where um, we're getting branded about on Twitter. Kind of, you know, it was a hate attack really. Um, so when he obviously asked me how did I feel, and I just I, I really did. I broke down. Not really my proudest moment, must admit, but it was it was just strange because it just didn't add up. Um, you know this terrible thing had happened and it, is a, it was a terrible thing and I'll be honest I've always even at this time last year I was never a massive I never once had like a, a flag in my hands or whatever saying you know sack the board or anything like that when others did not blaming them because that's their own opinion but I wanted the board to change I absolutely did I defy any Celtic fan that didn't this time last season um, but by no means was I asking, you know, for a, a man, a family man's home with, with grandchildren to get, um, you know, to get to get petrol bombed, really, um, to get set alight. So, yeah, to be branded with that kind of tag that you antagonised it um, and it was almost a witch hunt created by us, it did. I'll be honest, probably, yeah, you're 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 right. From then, I have probably chose my words a lot more carefully and not that I chose them uncarefully beforehand, but I think you just become, you know, you become obvious to these ridiculous ramifications that can really transpire um, from not saying anything other than the if, uh, obviously at that time you couldn't, but if you're sitting down in the pub, you know, 20, 30 folk would easily probably have the same kind of belief, not wishing anything bad on the man because, well, my God, he'd been there for my entire lifetime. Um, I hadn't known any differently with him. So as much as you can say that last season, you know, there was a few things that could have went differently if there was a different board, but the, the 10 years previously, I know that there was obviously sleeping at the wheel and whatnot, but Peter Lawwell was at the, the forefront of that. So I never had any other conception of what a CEO or anything was like. He was all I knew. So I um, I found it really difficult to, yeah, to, to, to come to terms with being branded with something like that. And obviously it, it got dealt with in, in some way but it does kind of you know it does get brought up every now and again uh, uh, even now coming on nearly a year later but it was it was a horrible thing to experience and it does definitely make you make you think makes you question I, I remember I think a question live on air I don't think this is what I want to do now because you're just like I can't say even something if I knew exactly what I'd say wrong and you can pinpoint and you can go right that was a mistake but when you can't do that and you're still getting branded, this isn't just, you know, getting called a name or whatever. This is, you know, this is a, a criminal offence and um, you're getting kind of pinned to, to the reasoning behind that and that you're, you're part of the problem, I think, was the phrase. Um, it's Yeah, it's a lot to take in. Was, was that what the first major time that you've really been as if, right, everything I say is now out there to a wider audience and they interpret it in different ways? I um, I think it was definitely um, 
obviously the the first the incident that actually the first one that happened with, with Bonner Grows, which the whole documentary transpired from, that came first. So it was only in a matter of three months that I'd kind of went from just being nothing uh, and then obviously the the rose escapade kind of happened that was a, the first day of, of 2021 and then um obviously just three three four months later the 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 peter lawwell incident happened so yeah it was quite the baptism of fire kind of into any kind of media landscape really um but yeah you do you, you do have to be careful but at the same time you shouldn't feel um you know restricted to what you say because I know I'm not I know I've never said anything that's you know ridiculous in that sense I've said a lot of stupid things and things that are likely to get pulled up on a few months later as a a meme and a clip that does happen quite a lot um but I've never said anything that you know I, I would be risking a job or anything so you've just you've got to be wise but it does make you think that people will be out there to to catch you on absolutely any occasion yeah. Um, so obviously, bringing up the sexism remarks there, your work and your contributions do get impacted with sexism, which obviously led to you creating an insightful and inspiring documentary. How have you coped on a personal level with that sort of with these sort of remarks? Um, I think the first one was was really tough. It happened like it was on a live stream. The comment came in, didn't really phase me actually, um, and. Um, yeah, just kind of plodded on with the rest of the stream. And then afterwards, I read it and I was a bit like, I don't like this. Um, and I felt pretty uncomfortable about it. But it kind of went a little bit flat. Um, and I just, you know, you go home, you sit. And I was, I'd obviously, I told my parents pretty much what had happened. I obviously done it the whole way with my, my co-commentator, my partner, everything like that, Sean McGill. And we, when we spoke about it, I think that's when I first realised I was this. Mm. because initially you're just you're still so caught up in what you're doing and and in the moment so it was later that night and I was just like nah this is just this wouldn't have happened I was talking to Sean like this didn't happen to you I was like you've made a hundred mistakes in that last broadcast but I'm the one that's getting you know this kind of thing and it wasn't even the fact that if he doesn't like me that's fine fair enough but it was just that this is why women shouldn't commentate like it wasn't aimed at me it was just in general and I think that's what I felt and I was about like it's just you know it's just so backward the profile was obviously it was a young guy as well which was extremely disappointing you know not saying that it's okay if it's a a man 60 plus but you know if sadly if you're going to expect that if it's going to come from them it's you can wrongly kind of accept it um in the way that they're they are stuck in their ways and they're just refusing to move with the times but even so it still shouldn't be um, like I say, accepted, but for it to come with a guy probably the same ages as me, you know, like I say, 20 years old at the time. Um, and then everything kind of happened. Obviously, a, a post came out from uh, Sean tweeted out about it first, actually. Then the club backed me up on it. Um, and then I think it's when it's it's actually when the reaction comes in and everybody kind of hops on. And I'm not saying that I wasn't grateful for it because it did, and it made you feel there was a lot of comfort in there. But as much as there was comfort, there was also, wow, this is real, this has actually happened. And you can kind of deny it up until then and go, oh, nobody saw it, it doesn't matter. But when there does start to become a bit of a, yeah, probably attraction to it. And like I say, I was so grateful. And like the first person, one of the first people that, that reached out to me was Jane, Jane Lewis, who I've been lucky enough to now work with. Um, obviously, she's included in the um, 
in the in the documentary but she obviously hosts a highlight show but she sent a lovely like a proper lovely message lots of people just from within the game just telling you you know batter on keep doing what you're doing you're doing the right thing so you do get a lot of warmth and comfort from it so as as tough as as tough as it is a lot does stem from it and from there you also just that's when the the tough exterior the tough skin in in my career really did did come from and I said that I didn't think I did have a tough exterior until I'd done the documentary um it's just been made even tougher purely because when you're listening to people like Jane like Heather Moira Gordon you know Ailey Barber Jenny Clark who have been in the game for for so long and then Leanne Crichton who's you know this new fresh face in a, in a commentary role as well and really leading the line there so to speak to these women and to, to really hear their experiences and just for them to give you advice more than anything you know obviously a lot went into the documentary but spoke to Jane for a good 20 minutes half an hour afterwards and just because when you're talking about something like that a lot of questions do arise and something that you perhaps wouldn't ask you know on shift or whatever walking by because it's not the time but when you have that time with these women who, who gave me their time um and really allows me to like I say to ask questions and whatnot the um yeah you do learn a lot you do and that is that's where you know you have to learn from from these women and follow and what they've paved basically for you uh, it sounds extremely poxy and it's not the way that I like to talk but they have they have been there and done that and and wearing the t-shirt so yeah you have to um, you have to listen and that's where, where you build from well you've actually nearly worded my next question perfectly there I was going to ask them now that you're following in the footsteps of the likes of Jane Lewis and Daily Barber do you feel there's a sense of responsibility in fighting for the inclusion and respect that should be based on work alone rather than the sex of the person yeah, hundred um, percent. But I think the the greatest thing for me actually is that I feel that I'm going to go into this and not just have to be, you know, the, the only one fighting for it and for continuing to for it. As much as I'm saying that that comment does come from a, a person my age, I know the the guys that I go to uni with, you know. Um, and as much as I'm saying it, I am the only sporty one in our group, especially in the football group. Um, there is they're all boys, but every single time something's happened to me. Uh, any little comment they jump on it they are you know Sean was the first when he got the ball rolling because he wasn't standing up for it so I have a lot of confidence that going into the industry with with people like them um that if, if anything did happen you know or it wasn't it, it looked dodgy that there wasn't enough women I think they would fight for it as well um and I, and I think that's where there, there's a shift in mentality that there's just a decent outlook amongst young male journalists um that they recognize where their predecessors have perhaps went wrong or perhaps been a little bit channel-minded um and not been as open as they, they potentially should have and could have been and I think there is a real desire amongst them certainly amongst you know my my team um which they they uh, they, they do know who they are they um yeah they would you know back me to the help probably when they shouldn't have sometimes but they um yeah I believe that it won't just be you know that the women is having to push for the the females to be in it that male and males and uh, females alike going into this next generation this next wave um it's going to be a shift there from from within yeah moving on to some of the great work you have done with your podcast Soccer Supernova which has had a wide variety of guests, including commentating icon Archie McPherson, Vicky Hall talking women in sport, Andy McLaren discussing addiction and rehab, Paul Elliott talking about racism in football. Do you have any personal highlights while hosting the podcast? Don't say Mark Wilson. 
there are so many <laughs> there are so many there are so many I could kind of go through a, a positive from every single one really um speaking to Paul Elliott that was that was incredible you know he is what what he does for humanity really we should all be a little bit more Paul Elliott it was an it was a real honor to get to speak to him a, a man so passionate so articulate um and well a half decent footballer as well no he was he had a tremendous Celtic career no matter how short it was and I wish that he was there during a more successful time um you know it was probably so unfortunate but he was the bright light in a really uh, a really dark period so speaking to him was outstanding um and really humbling Archie McPherson that's just you know you just sit there and listen you do you don't you don't interrupt you just let him he, he knows the stories, he has them all. There's nothing that that man hasn't seen, done, um, spoke to. So speaking to him, he was he was a real privilege. But you touch on, you know, Andy McLaren, um, speaking through his, his troubles. Danny Swanson opened up about his mental health. And for me, Jerry Farrell was the first one that I ever done in person. And Jerry Farrell's the, probably one of the least known footballing names that I've actually interviewed going by his career but you know he's, he spoke so openly about he, he went to prison um but he how he's rejuvenating his life and how he's getting himself back on track and how you can get lost within the crowd and I think speaking to guys like Andy, Jerry, Danny it really it makes you want to make a difference because you want you know better better care for for players post post career and, and that's really where all three of them really unite um Andy McLaren was a joy to talk to he's so open um you know you think you know a player or a person because you know them as the player um but Andy McLaren's got an extremely extremely personal and, and tough story to tell and, and he done so I think it's a real privilege listening to you know, listening to these stories and being told them because you do have to be comfortable enough to be in that person's company, obviously, for them to to open up. So for Jerry, for Andy, and, and for Danny in particular, you know, to to open up. But um, there there have been, you know, there have been some terrific one terrific stories. Like I say, Mark Wilson was was an absolute joy. Um, Paul Elliott, but there there have been so many. Charles Patterson as well. Getting to, he's a guy that I've watched for years on Sky. Uh, Gordon Duncan, obviously, I'm East Coast. East Coast, sorry, so I don't listen to Super Scoreboard quite so much, but you know what these, you know, individuals do. Semra Hunter leading, you know, La Liga TV. It's it's incredible to, like I say, to be able to speak to these people. So I have been extremely lucky, incredibly lucky. Shouldn't have started listening to people because now I feel bad. But um, there have been some outstanding interviews and I, I really hope there's more, more to come. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think people realise just how difficult it is to commentate on a football game either. How challenging have you found it? But also you must have found it rewarding to be one of the features on the BBC highlights for the promotion of Scottish women's football. Yeah, that's quite cool. Um, BBC producers might tell you a little bit differently about how good I am. Um, do have a little bit of a, a running joke there, um, but I'd love it. I do love it. It's, it's incredibly tough. It's I have um, kind of adopted like Clive Tildesley's, like you know his notes that he frames, and you know you can get them sent out. That's kind of the way that I go about my, writing my notes. I will have such extensive research, um, and I think that's what really got to me um after the the, the first incident with the bonus the the, uh, the sex social mark whatever because I've done so much research for that and you do you you put in time and time and Sean 
bloody put in no time. He just read my notes. Um, so that, that used to happen a lot, actually. But yeah, it, it is an incredible amount of hours. Um, you're constantly, especially at our level, you know, Bonnerig sites, pretty decent. East Club Ride's pretty decent. But, you, you know, you've got some sites that haven't been updated and yonks, like it's still the 2018-19 league table. So you're going off Twitter. You're going off ridiculous sources. Um, it's not as easy as, you know, flipping on or flipping up SPFL websites and whatnot, club websites. Um, it's not that easy. So to do it at this level, it is tricky. It does take time. I've missed many a Friday night out, actually, for doing these notes because then I've realised that, oh, bugger, I'm doing cons tomorrow. And you forget about it. But um, you do, you put the in because you love it. You do. Um, and I love talking about Bonnerig Rose. I love burn people about it. Um, so, yeah, you've got to do the opposition as well. But, no, it is rewarding. And you just have to, you know, you have to put the hours in. You have to. Do you feel that the BBC's coverage is a step in the right direction for equality when it comes to women in football, as well as the media side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a desire for SWPL highlights because there are fans of the SWPL you know it's not male football fans if they're really wanting to watch the women's game whatever um, if they tune in fab but this is for fans of the SWPL one um, hopefully you know it can expand in some way um, but you obviously to SWPL too it's a little bit tricky you don't have a championship highlight show for the men's game either so um, but to have you know a dedicated slot week in week out um, as long as it's a weekend um fixture list obviously um to have that on the monday night it's it's perfect um well if it was perfect it'd be the sunday night but there's so many ridiculous kickoffs in the swpl um like last night's was a four o'clock kickoff you know so it's, it's not plausible but you can't you know you can't be um be frustrated or, or anything like that to have the highlights there and to have just coverage of the women's game going out week in week out um, it's all about raising awareness you can't be what you can't see Jane's, Jane's told me that Ailey's told me that and that's the message that I'll kind of want to pass on really um, best bit of advice you can't be what you can't see so if a little girl can't see girls and women playing football then how do they know they can be uh, a, a female footballer well they're only a footballer they're not a female footballer but if you can't hear Leanne Crichton being a female commentator in the men's game, how do you know that a, a, a young girl can go and commentate in the men's game? So the bridges are being built and the visibility is now becoming a lot more accessible. And, and that's crucial, you know, listening to open all mics, making sure that, you know, Heather Dewar's on there or Jane's on there or Leanne's on there. It's um, you have to be able to hear it and to see it. So Ailey hosting, you know, Football Focus, that's just not even Scottish. That's just that's massive in the UK. You know, I'd love to know the uh, the, the viewing figures on that that kind of show because it's just it's it's a real mainstay and it's you know everybody knows about football focus. Same, everybody knows about match of the day. So it's making sure that women who deserve to be there. You know, Ellie Barber is one of the, the the best presenters out there. Um, Jane Lewis is a, a ridiculously talented journalist. If you 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 don't realise how many stories, you know, these these women have, have actually broke um, and the lines that they get, you just perhaps sometimes see them on, on the BBC website or then you'll see them hit Twitter, but do you actually know the journalist that got that out of Ange Postacoglu or the journalist who got that out of Robbie Nielsen? You know, nine times out of ten, Jane Lewis will be up there. Um, so making sure that you can hear, see women being in any kind of format in the, in the media, um, that, that it's, it's only it's what you have to you have to um, project for. 
Um, how have you found working with runaway leaders of the Lowland League, Bonnie Rig Rose, working for another Lowland League side, East Kilbride and myself? I know there is a lot of work to be done with wide, a wide range of opportunities and tasks. How do you juggle with all your other commitments? Um, Rose is just for the love of it. It really is. Um, I I would do it for the rest of my career. If I could... Um, yeah, if I could, I would. I love it. I love the team that I work with. I'm so lucky. I work with genuinely two of my best pals, Sean and, and Cam. We are just three kids who probably shouldn't be allowed to to do what we do because we just have such a fun time. We really do. On comms, we have a laugh. And I think that comes across and probably why we've, we've done so well with it because we don't try and be anything. We're not, you know, we're, we're not trying to be the BBC. You're running a a, a, a club channel we are going to be biased to Bonnie Rose. And if you don't like it, lump it. Um, you know, if you if you turn on Celtic TV, you're going to hear Jerry go mental and you're, you're going to hear Tom Boyd and, and Colcoms go mental. That's just going to happen. It's part and parcel of it. So not trying to be the BBC or trying to even be potentially, you know, unbiased in, in the format of BT or, or Sky or whatnot. When you love a club as much as we do, and we really do, um, I always had like an affinity with Rose being a few games, whatnot. My dad's from Bonnerig, um, but we live in Dalkeith, which is just so much classier. But um, we, yeah, so Rose have always been like a part of it and I've always, you know, followed results and whatnot. Being a few times when there's the decent Scottish Cup runs always kind of turned up there because they are the, 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 the succeeding local club. But when you get into it, you know, we have totally fell in love and a lot of people do come up to us and think that we've been fans forever because it, it's not put on. Like, we are so passionate. It affects my mood. Like, if, if thankfully, it's been a long time since Rose lost, but got battered 5-1 by Rangers B. And it was my birthday weekend, my 21st. I wasn't there and I was fuming. Like, it was a good half an hour on my birthday. I was just sitting there going, like, I don't even want to be here because I was just so mad. Celtic probably got beat as well. Um, but you don't even think it sometimes because it's just so central to, to them. So... I love everything that I do and I don't see it as work like I don't I've been so lucky to be able to go to football in a time where fans weren't allowed to go you know week in week out was getting to travel around with like one of those things that the government give you that you're allowed to travel into that area and that area um, and go into different like yeah different council areas and whatnot but loved loved it and I do think this will probably be it I don't know how you know when I finish uni and, and potentially go you know full time and of into some kind of employment. I don't know how much I'll be able to do with, with Bonnie Rose, but they've been two of the best years of my life. And I would love it to end with securing SPFL promotion because the club deserve it. There's so many good people behind the club and um, behind the scenes. And I think to be honest, one of the most diverse clubs as well, you know, there's so many is it 30 Oh, I'm not going to throw out a stat, but there's so many women on the on the committee, so many women amongst the stands at Rose. Um, there is a real, you know, we are a community club, um, and unlike other clubs who call themselves community clubs and family clubs, Bonnie Rose always put the fans first. I've always made me feel so welcome. You know, I was brought on, and I know I was brought on not because I was a female and it looked good, because I'll be honest, I've asked that because I was worried, because um, that floats into your head as well that you're like oh am I now am I a tick of the box so does it look good if you employ me but I asked and you know well they're probably not going to tell them otherwise but I trust them so much and I know that they, they you know appreciate the work that I do and respect the work that I do and they have been nothing but so supportive to me if I can't reach a game because I'm going to the BBC or whatever I get the, the mickey taken out of me that I'm picking the BBC over them but um they have been 
brand new. I, I love the club. I love everything about it. And yeah, I will be a Rose supporter for life. So it's not work. It's not a job. It's, um, it's yeah, it's getting to go to the football with your pals, having to write a match report at night. But I'll make sure I'm the drive. I'm the designated driver right now. Um, neither of them can drive, so I've not been on match reports for a long time. So um, that's been a, a bit of a joy, you know, getting to run a social media account. As like, just have such a laugh. He doesn't need to be pitch perfect. We do have a little bit of humour with it because you're still allowed that in the Lowland League. Like we were obviously last week didn't have a clue who scored for us. It was our own goal. Don't have a clue who scored because it was just a melee of players, and then it just becomes a huddle, and you, you don't know. And we just tweet out, I don't know who scored, and that that's the fun of it. You know, it gets good reactions, and we are we're given artistic license, and, and you can't you know you can't begrudge that. We'll finish up with a couple of personal favourites. I probably already know the answer to this, but have you got a favourite stadium? Uh, so best stadium, uh, well, it's got to be Parkhead because of that last question. But um, yeah, no, it's Parkhead. Um, Celtic Park under the lights. You know, that, that show that got put on the other night against Rangers, that is incredible. I know a lot of people have made fun of the disco lights. Um, I made fun of the disco lights just a few weeks ago was there for the Hibs game and I'm like oh this is why we installed them to play Hibs on a Monday night um but nobody does football like like Celtic Park and I'm not having it that that and I love Anfield I love Anfield but they don't have a there's not a picking on Celtic Park the atmosphere that's created is second to none I love Borussia Dortmund as well that's one stadium that I would actually love to go to um because I think their fans are unbelievable um, hopefully if Covid dies down a bit should be going there for my, my brother's birthday actually so let's, let's hope so but yeah Celtic Park um, 100% it just hands down hands down and have you got a favourite game that you've been to? probably Celtic 1 Partick Thistle 0 because it was the last goal that Joe Ledley scored for Celtic um, sentimental value then Oh, it was shocking, by the way. It was such a bad game, but he scored what I didn't know was going to be his last Celtic goal. Um, but it was, obviously, it was the, uh, I was right behind the goals and it was it was genuinely sheer euphoria, that one, actually. Um, best For the best atmosphere that I've been to, it would actually be, it'd be Celtic Inter Milan. When we drew 3-3, uh, John Guidetti in the last minute. That was the best atmosphere I've ever been to. Um, place was absolutely rocking that night. And there was a real belief, actually, that go over to Milan and get the job done. Um, so that is up there. And I know it's not one of the, the highs in Europe. It's not even the best, you know, European result that I've actually witnessed. But for sheer, you know, just the way you, you can beat, like, I know it's not a last-minute winner, but a last-minute equaliser against an Inter-Milan side that were so, so good, like, so good. Um that's up there and it was a, a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night. Oh no, it must have been a Thursday night. Maybe a Wednesday night. I've got Wednesday in my head. But it was a night game and everything like that um, every day of the week. I'm sure it was like Valentine's Day kind of thing. It was definitely February week off, holiday, uh, off school. But yeah, that's up there actually. Yeah, Inter Milan game was, yeah, it was pretty special. I think that's a good note to end it on. So Amy, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I would like to extend my thanks to Amy for joining me to talk about her career so far and talking so passionately about the ongoing issue of sexism in sport and sports media and striving for equality. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Talking the Turnstiles.